course, the book of Revelation. Uh, we began, I was discussing it with some uh, just beforehand, that we actually began this study, not in Revelation, but began the study itself back in October, a uh, study on the signs of the time, and that really was my intention, to do that, and then move on to something else. But uh, the Lord, uh, through his spirit, has seemed to just kind of navigate us right back to this book, and we're looking at it together, and we actually are uh, entitled this part of our study, The Day of the Lord. Now, that's not to be confused with the Lord's Day. <laughs> the Lord's Day is today. <laughs> it is on Sunday, but when we use that phrase, the Day of the Lord, we're talking about uh, that period of time where God is going to ultimately complete all of his work of redemption and his retribution against sin and Satan. And the byproduct of this is that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, will be able to reclaim uh, what is rightfully his. And that, uh, of course, uh, is his place to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. He reaches out in Revelation chapter 5. We saw this in our study. And he took from the hand of our eternal God and Father the title deed of the earth. And he began to open up that scroll and had seven seals. And we've looked at the seven seals. And just let me remind you that probably the, a key word in understanding as each of these seals are opened up is the word catastrophic. Because the things that are revealed is kind of panoramic view. The seals are kind of a panoramic view. And then as we get, and we are getting into, have been getting into the study of the trumpet judgments and then eventually the bow judgments, things get far more specific, far more intense. But uh, when we look at it together and we look at the seals, it's kind of like a, a broad stroke here. And it talks about catastrophic wars. We know that part of this is going to be Armageddon, but that's not all of the wars that's going to take place in the seven years of tribulation. And it's going to be catastrophic wars. It talks about catastrophic famine. It talks about catastrophic death. In fact, in one of those seals, it says that a fourth of the population of the earth is going to lose their life. Well, I got to thinking about that. And right now, it's estimated there's 7 billion, 850 million people on the face of the earth. Well, what is, what is a, a fourth of that? You talking about something catastrophic? How about 1 billion, 950 million will lose their lives during the seven years of tribulation. I call that catastrophic. I don't know what you call it. Uh, but what an incredible time it is going to be. And of course, there are also going to be catastrophic events that take place here on earth and even in the heavens. And when I use that in the plural, I'm talking about the stellar heavens, talking about the sun and the moon and things of that nature, which leads us to where we are really in our study right now, and that is on the trumpet judgments of God upon this earth. Because the last seal 
The seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. And in our last study, we looked at the first four of those. I, I want to read beginning chapter 8. This is where we are. And let me read through uh, really verse 11. No, verse 12. And uh, just to remind you of the four, first four trumpets that are given to us. I'm going to say a few words about that. I'm not going to get in detail like we have before. But um, just to put us all in the same frame of mind. So it says beginning in verse 1 and Revelation chapter 8 says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were followed peals of thunder and sails and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. All of these are words and phrases used to describe great judgment is here. Basically what it's saying. God is now ready to move forward in his incredible judgments, his retribution against sin and against sinners who have rejected the gospel and against, of course, Satan. So then it says, beginning in verse 6, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets is prepared, uh, trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the, <coughs> excuse me, all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures that were in the sea and, and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. What? What you see in these first three trumpets is an incredible uh, cataclysmic ecological disaster taking place here upon the earth. It affects the trees, it affects all the vegetation, it affects everything in the seas, it's affecting fresh waters as well. And so there's this incredible catastrophic cataclysmic uh, uh, disaster taking place. And then he changes the focus, verse 11, on verse 10, it says, the third angel sounded in a great star. I just read that. Verse uh, 11, the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Then it says, the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck as the downpour came. No, I just, that's not in there. <laughs> just checking to see if you're really following me on this. <laughs> so 
So the fourth angel, let me start over. For the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. So here we have very unique judgments of God. God is the one who is behind everything we just read and the impact, the disaster of it, the cataclysmic aspect of it. He is the one bringing forth these judgments and they affect the earth, they affect the waters of the earth, they affect the, the heavens, that's the stellar system that is above us. And so here's how I want to sum this up for you because because there's two ways in which this could unfold. Now, we're not given commentary. We're not told how the Lord is going to bring this about. So at this point, we're just kind of looking at it and saying, well, it could be this manner or he could, have, he could do it in this manner. I mean, it could be natural calamities. I mean, remember when he was bringing the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt. He used nature. Uh, most of the plagues related to nature, and that's how he was getting Pharaoh's attention, how he eventually set the children of Israel free by using nature. So he could just, he is sovereign, he is over the earth, and, and, and so he could use nature in any way he wants to, to be able to bring about judgment upon this earth. And so it can be done that way. It can also be done in light of, I'm just going to call it not just natural disasters, but how about nuclear disaster? And when I use the term nuclear, I'm talking about, uh, in addition to that, biological warfare. I'm talking about chemical warfare. We're talking about things that are affecting man in every direction as he's trying to live out his earthly life. It's affecting the trees. It's affecting the grass. It's affecting the seas. It's affecting fresh water. And, and we just looked at this and saw that it was affecting also the, the sun and the moon. In fact, let me give you some passages of scripture here concerning this fourth trumpet judgment. And, and you see how this has been spoken of from years past going all the way back Let's begin in Isaiah. And I'm just scratching the surface. I could give you a list of 10, 12, 14 different passages of Scripture that makes reference to what is described right here in the fourth judgment. For look at me, look at with me in, in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 13. And, uh, and beginning in verse 6, we're not going to read that, but uh, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. But at the very top in my Bible, it talks about judgment on the day of the Lord. That's what this passage is all about. And one of the things he mentions here, verses 9 and 10, is this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with furry and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. Well, we just kind of read that in the first trumpets, first three trumpets. Uh, and then it says, and will exterminate its sinners from it. For the, listen to this, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed 
its light. Look at this in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. And here's what the scripture says, describing the day of the Lord. It says, and when I extinguish you, I will cover, listen to this, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. And the shining lights in the heavens, I will darken over you and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord. Joel chapter two, just to your right here a little bit. Joel chapter two, verse 10, and then verse 31. And here's what the scripture says. Again, he's describing what is called the terrible visitation of the Lord, the wrath of God, the day of the Lord. He says, before them the earth quakes. Verse 10, before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Look at verse 31. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so we see in the Old Testament, uh, there's already been the prophecy of what is talked about here in, in Revelation chapter 8 and, and here in in. Uh, Verse 12, and just think about this with me. We Listen, it says, the fourth angel sounded, I'm, I'm back to Revelation 8, 12, and a third, uh, a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Think about the devastation that would bring. First of all, you better have a heavy coat if you're here. If you miss the rapture, I hope you don't. And you know where I stand on the rapture. I believe uh, it is the catalyst that brings the, the end of the church age, this age of grace. It's the catalyst that moves us right into the seven years of tribulation. Do not miss it. Know that you know that you're right with God. You've got Christ as your Lord and Savior. But for those who miss it, I hope they got a big coat. Because when you start dimming the sun and it only shines for a third of the day and then the moon and the stars, a third of the stars, it's gonna get rather cold here upon the earth. Not only that, it's going to greatly uh, change the weather patterns. I mean, we will really have climate issues when that happens. Liberals will be happy. Do I have a witness on that? They can actually prove something is happening here. But it's gonna be, it's gonna cause the tides in the ocean are gonna be affected and crops will be affected. So it's going to be an incredible event in addition to what we have already looked at in the first three trumpet judgments. What an incredible word. Think about what these people are gonna be going through. And there's gonna be followers of Christ here. We already have looked about the 144,000 uh, that would be sealed. And they're not the only ones sealed of God. All who have become followers of Christ in that great revival talked about in Revelation chapter seven, the revival of all revivals from every nation, every tongue, all peoples, there'll be those who have come to know the Lord. They're gonna lose their life except for the 144,000. Most of them 
them are going to be part of that 1,950,000,000 that's going to lose their life because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to look in verse 13 as we go forward from that tonight. And it's kind of like a transition verse for us. John writes, then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice. Now that tells you right here that there is symbolism being used. Now eagles are beautiful birds, but I don't think they talk. They make a lot of noise, but I don't think they talk. And so this eagle is saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. We, we just describe one catastrophe after another. It could be natural disasters that God uses like he did in Exodus, or it could be every one of these things and, and, and the impact uh, on the land and even in, in the sky could come from the wars that are going to be taken. We got enough nuclear power in the world today to wipe the population of the earth away three times over. We've got chemical warfare. We've got enough here in the United States, much less China, much less Russia, and some of the others to basically just almost wipe out. Could possibly, we've already seen how easy it would be just, just through this pandemic that we had to go through and still going through to a certain degree. How quickly people fall into fear, how easy it is to uh, get people and motivate people in a certain way. So biological, chemical, I mean, every one of these disasters could be a result of that. Or God could just use natural. But then we get this word. And they would just put it in these simple terms. You haven't seen anything yet. Now, an eagle in scripture, the only symbol I know of that eagles use symbolically is of God himself. One of my favorite parables in scripture is in Deuteronomy, where it talks about the Lord is like a mother eagle. You know this, this parable that is given and it's a picture of the mother eagle and it's the nest and you remember the little eaglets that are in the nest that was, you know, like the children of Israel and this mother eagle was going to teach, this is the parable, teach these eaglets how to fly. So what does she do? Well, she stirs up the nest. The nest is great. The nest is comfortable. All they got to do is lie back, open up her mouth, and poop, she drops in breakfast and lunch and dinner and maybe a snack here or there. Well, they're not growing. They're not learning to fly. 
So the mother eagle goes in there and tears that nest up. It's so uncomfortable they have to get out on the ledge. And what does that mother eagle do? Knocks them out. And every time I say that, I envision the coyote in the roadrunner. You know, <laughs> you know. But the difference between that and the mother eagle is the coyote always hits the ground, right? You know, poof. And then walks away. But the mother eagle will never let a little eaglet hit the ground. She will catch it or it on back, take it back to the nest, knock it out again. Will flap her wings in front to give him or her, whether it's whatever kind of eagle it is, how to use their wings. And she will do that until they're soaring themselves. It's the only symbol I know of in scripture for an eagle. And so what I see in this verse is God just saying, hey, you think this is bad? I'm just getting started. And, and you know, we don't like to use, I guess, that terminology. We think about our gracious, good, merciful, loving fathers. We were singing in the 11 o'clock service this, uh, this morning, good, good father, that's who you are. Yes, that's who he is, but we're not talking about the age of grace any longer. We're talking about the seven years of tribulation. We're talking about ultimate judgment. That must come. As a holy God, it must come. And so he says, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And so our focus now is on the fifth trumpet, the fifth trumpet. And that's found in chapter nine, and really verses one through 12. So I want us to walk through this. This is kind of fascinating and uh, you just have to wrap your minds around what is taking place here. I, I break this down into four areas, and you see that on your outline. First of all, that the pit is unlocked. The pit is unlocked. And here's the way it begins, verses 1 and 2. It says, beginning in verse 1, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth. Now, if we just stop right there, we would just think of a meteorite or something of that nature. But it's obvious as we begin to read the rest of this verse, again, this, this is not a star or a meteorite or something of that nature is talking about. Because here's what it says. The fifth angel sounded, I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now we're talking about a person. We're, we're talking about a being from heaven which had fallen to the earth. One sent but had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit, we're talking here about hell, the abyss, was given to him. 
Now, I believe that this is a reference to Satan himself. You, you may know that, in fact, we'll just look at it. Isaiah chapter 14, if you look there with me for just a moment. We, we have a description of his fall, okay? A description of his, I'm going to call it his original fall uh, from heaven. And uh, there's another description, Ezekiel, but I want to use this one out of Isaiah. And it's Isaiah chapter 14. And I want to read uh, these verses to you. So here's what it says. Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. In the passage in Ezekiel, it talks about that, that Satan, the term Lucifer is used, star of the morning, but it's talking about his presence around the very throne of God. It implies quite clearly that he was apparently in charge of the worship around the throne of God. With all the cherub angels and the seraphim angels and all the followers of Jehovah from Old Testament, New Testament, already gone before us. See, he was the one in charge of the worship of Almighty God. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. That is all a reference to the very throne of God. He wanted to be the one worshipped as God. Though he was created by God. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. That was part of his original fall. As we look at this in Revelation, this is not a reference to his original fall. There's an aspect about Satan's work here, now, and his access to God. And the scripture doesn't give commentary on this other than the state the reality. In fact, look with me right here in Revelation chapter 12. And we'll be looking at several different passages out of this, but just look with me right now in verse 10. And we'll study this in more detail when we get to this, but just for tonight. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come 
for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. So we all have an accuser. It is Satan and he accuses us before God. In some manner or form, he has access to God. Job chapter 1. You might remember this. I'm going to read verse 6. That's what they're going to have up there, but I'm going to read past that. I didn't give it to them, so it's not their fault. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? And if you know the rest of the story, Satan begins to ask for permission to test Job. Test that you and I hope we will never, ever have to go through. And you remember on another occasion that right before his crucifixion, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Now, I don't have an explanation for that. Scripture doesn't give us any other explanation. It just states it as a reality. But on this occasion here, as we go back to Revelation uh, chapter 9, and, and when it says here that, that Satan had fallen to the earth, a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, this, this is his permanent being casting out of heaven. If you look back again, Revelation chapter 12, I, I want to read for you, first of all, uh, verses 7 through 9, and then I'm going to read verse 12, but Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. This is Satan and all the fallen angels that fell with him. And they were not strong enough, praise God. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 12, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. So when this event takes place, Satan knows Satan knows his time basically is up. He's got a short time. 
it's going to be over. Now, it says, we're looking at that the pit was unlocked. It says in verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. In other words, he opened up hell. And we see that not only that the pit was unlocked, but see the power that was unleashed as a result of this. I'm just going to go ahead and read verses three through six. Then out of the smoke came locust upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, every unbeliever, everyone who had rejected, they rejected what the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, they rejecting what other followers of Christ, part of this incredible revival were talking about in accepting Christ. They had fallen under that delusion that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so now they are eternally blinded. Their time has come and gone. And it says in verse 5, and they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees them. So what was released? Of course, it was the demons of hell that's released. The term locust is used, I believe, to refer to just how uncountable, when I mean that uncountable, how many are going to be released and how devastating it is going to be. In my study, I found out that, I believe it was in 1889, there was a swarm of locusts in the Middle East that covered, listen to this. I had to read it several times just to say, is this true? The swarm covered 2,000 square miles of locusts. Devastated everything, obviously, in its path. And I believe here, these locusts are, are just it's talking about how, what's it going to be like when it's hell on earth? Because that's what it's going to be. Because hell's going to be opened up. Satan is given the key, permission of God to open up hell and release demons that are there. You say, well, if there are demons there, they're, how about the demons that are here now? Well, they're both. 
But, but let me give you a couple of verses here. This is something you just have to wrap your mind around. Uh, look with me in 2 Peter. Just go to your left from Revelation just a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is what Peter wrote. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Listen to this in Jude. Look at Jude, verses six and seven. There are no chapters, just Jude. Jude wrote this, the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandon their proper abode. Listen to this. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. What great day? The day of the Lord. What we're talking about right now. He goes on in verse seven, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around him since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In other words, they were, I'll be careful how I word this, but they were, they were fallen angels that we now call demons that interacted physically with women here upon this earth. And God sent them straight to hell and it has kept them there to this day. That's what that verse is saying. All part of that original fall. So the power that is unleashed as we go back to this is, is absolutely incredible when you talk about it. It's all the focus is on those who are, do not have the seal, those who are not part of the family of God, those who haven't been born again. And basically they're going to be tormented. That's what it's saying, tormented for five months God put a cap on it. Tormented for five months to the point where they were dead. It's going to be, they're going to have such torment, they will beg to die. But God has removed death for that five months. Now you know why the Lord said, Woe. Whoa, whoa. To the seven, to the three trumpets to be blown. The power unleashed, the picture unveiled. John describes these locusts. Let me begin reading in verse seven. I'm going to go through verse 10. It says, The appearance of the locusts 
was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had the hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had the breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing uh, to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. We really have no commentary, even from the Old Testament, to know and be able to exactly understand what John is describing for us here. But I just look at it as terrorized fear. And these, these people who have rejected the Lord are absolutely helpless in dealing with these demons. The pit unlocked, the power unleashed, the picture unveiled, the prince unmasked. Verses 11 and 12. They have a king They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he has the name of Apollyon. The first woe is past, but two woes are still coming after these. These are both names for the destroyer. The destroyer. Remember it says that he came with great wrath because he knows his time is short. I shared with you on one occasion of a book, and I'm going to close with this because I want us to have time to pray, that I read back when I was pastoring at Unity, written by a Dr. Rebecca Brown. I shouldn't really tell you that because I don't want you to read the book. (laughs) So I guess I kind of messed up here, but I got a hold of that book. I can't remember how I ended up with it, but it was titled, He Came to Set the Captives Free. And it was a story about a young lady who had gotten involved in satanic worship. And she is, Rebecca Brown, follower of Christ, is seeking to lead her out of that darkness into the kingdom of light. But the things she described as being true of Satan and the kingdom of darkness, uh, it'll make the hair stand up on top of your head. In fact, I got rid of it. I didn't even want that book in my house and got rid of it. Um, But everything this lady described, she was saved. She became born again. She got delivered. And and one of the things that helped her, I just share this with you, one of the things that helped turn her around is that one of the things you first learn in satanic worship is out-of-the-body experiences. And they had been sent to a house of a couple that had been leading motorcycle gangs to the Lord. 
And there was a hit on this couple. They were there to take this couple out. But when they got there, God pulled back the veil. You remember how he did it with the shepherds? He pulled back the veil and they saw all the angels praising God at the birth of Christ. And you remember with uh, the prophet Elisha and his servant and God pulled back the veil and that servant saw this incredible army of God protecting them. She said that that house was surrounded by angels of God. And she said, they laughed at us. They laughed at us. And she said, that's the first time I realized Satan was a liar. He wasn't almighty. Said we cannot even come close to touching that couple. There was a greater power represented by all the angels of the Lord that was around them. Well, there's coming a day. And if my theology is right, we're not going to be here. Even if it happens tonight, we're not, we're not going to be here. Hallelujah. I think I'm right. I believe I'm right. I know I'm right. Ray just gave me an amen. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate that. But just try to think how, and we haven't even got to the bold judgments yet, how devastating this is going to be in those seven years of tribulation and what man is going to go through because they reject the Lord. They just flat don't want Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they fall under a great dark delusion. So Father God, we're here to pray and I'm just going to open it up, Lord, for a prayer request so that we can join our hearts around your throne of grace and we're going to do that, Lord, right now.